I've got the monitor right in front of me today. Just gonna, that's, that's too much Josh, I think. It's a little Josh overload. Well, oh, thanks, man. Thanks, roadie Kevin. Kevin hung me out to dry today. He, uh, this morning at the sunrise service, was in his sport coat looking all snazzy. And I was like, oh, man, I got to wear my suit to church today. And then I get here, and he bailed on the sport coat. Yeah, yes. Can't sink any lower, bro. <laughs> hey, and uh, my helper, Leilani, is passing out. Boys and girls, we had one really cool thing Miss Carrie wanted to make sure that you guys got. I think Leilani is passing those things out right as we speak. At least I thought it was really cool. And so thank you, Leilani. He is risen. He is risen I love that so much. And uh, uh, Tara Forrestal, what do you say? At the, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Just as he said he would. I like that. Going to remember that variation in the future. All right, my friends. I was invited to sing in the choir today. And I was very flattered by that. But then I realized what was happening. Kevin thought that if he got me to sing a bunch of songs before the sermon, it would make it where I didn't have the pipes to preach for very long. And mission accomplished, because this is going to be a shorter sermon. Um, so well done. Well played, Kevin. Well played. This uh, time together that we have in the scripture, we're going to be looking at three different passages. Short passages, but three different ones. And I want to start off with the first one by having us all stand together, if we're able, for the reading of God's word. It's in the gospel of Luke. Luke's resurrection scene is in chapter 24, and we are going to pick up. Let me make sure I get the verses just right. In verse 36 and go to verse 39. So if you would follow along with me, it's in your bulletin, it's up here on the screen, or best yet, in your Bibles that you have with you. God's word says this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? It it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. This is the word of Christ. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight in these next few moments as we hear and meditate on your word. And even as our children are in here during this time with us today for this family Sunday, I pray that they would be absorbing and hearing your word as we read it and speak it. God, we ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. Go ahead and be seated. There's something that I have said many times in uh, the years that I've been a preacher, and it's this, that when it comes to biblical interpretation, it comes to reading the scriptures, the thing that we think of as the problem is often the point of God's word. It's often the point that he's trying to get across. And, And what I mean by that is that we as Bible readers can sometimes be reading through God's word or Uh, Maybe Bible scholars and critics could be reading through God's word, and they see an issue that they label as a problem. 
Maybe it is an inconsistent detail or a repetition that seems odd and out of place or maybe even just like a bizarre story that doesn't seem to make much sense. And yet, those problems, quote unquote, are oftentimes precisely the point that God is trying to get across. He is using those things to get our attention, to get us to lean in, to get us to pay attention in ways that maybe we wouldn't otherwise. And the resurrection accounts in the gospels are a great example of this. All the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us about the resurrection of Christ. As you would expect, it is the most pivotal moment in all of redemptive history. They all tell the story, but they all tell it in a different way. Not a contradictory way, but some of them include these details and not those. Some of them give this eyewitness account and not that one. Some of them sort of play with the chronology of things in such a way to emphasize a certain theme. And many Bible readers come at that or or critical scholars will come at that and be like, see, this can't be real and historical. The risen Jesus cannot be true because if it were, all the accounts would read exactly the same. Like a newspaper that just repeats the same AP article. But to repeat what I said earlier, if we drew that conclusion, we would be missing the point that God is trying to show us. We'd be missing the fact that he's done this purposely for us to be able to see and to understand and to accept the fact that there are different themes and powerful truths and profound applications in the resurrection story that each one of these evangelists is trying to get us to see in a unique way. So instead of having just this one-dimensional static telling of the resurrection story, what we get instead is like this 360-degree panorama looking at it from all these different angles, all these different sides, With Matthew bringing to the fore certain ideas that we don't get from the others. And Luke bringing to the fore certain perspectives that we don't get the others. And John and Mark doing likewise. We get to see the resurrection from the whole perspective. Because we have four evangelists that tell us the story in different ways. The thing that's the problem is actually the point. And what I want to do today in just a few minutes, I promise, just a few minutes, is to look at three of the evangelists, Luke and Matthew and John, and look at their unique contributions, the unique details that they bring to the story, and think aloud about what it is they're really trying to get us to see, uniquely to see, about the risen Jesus and what truly happened on Resurrection Sunday. That's our goal in these next 10 minutes. I told you, it's going to be short today. We're going to start with Luke. We've read his perspective and his sort of scene already, but it's up here on the screen for you. In particular, what we're going to look at in Luke is that he's the one that shows us how the risen Jesus is who speaks to our hearts and addresses our doubts. I don't know if you saw the word doubt in the text that we read, but it's right there. When Jesus begins to speak, he says, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Flesh and bones, that is, not blones, as you see that I have. So you can see down there at the bottom sentence that Jesus' primary concern is to make sure the disciples realize that, it's kind of funny to say this, he's not a ghost. (laughs) That seems to be some of their first reaction is, ah, it's a ghost. He's not. He's the risen Savior who in his whole being, body, flesh, soul, and all has been resurrected from the dead. And he's saying, see, I'm here with you just as I was before. But get this, in doing what he did and making sure they realize that he's not a ghost, he tells us something incredibly profound that carries on through generations. That belief in Jesus, belief in his resurrection is not blind faith. Your belief in Jesus is not a leap into the dark against reason, against hope, or against any evidence and saying, I just believe because it's absurd. No. Belief in Jesus has proof, has reason behind it. And when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, instead of immediately ascending to the Father, he shows up in scenes like this that Luke is really honing in on so that his disciples wouldn't have to believe with blind faith, but they would be able to see him, to hear him, to touch him even, and know that he truly is alive, he truly is risen. He appears to a lot of people after his resurrection. And because of that, it means that our faith, even though this happened generations ago, our faith can be traced back to a foundation of Jesus saying, I want you to believe in me and I'll prove it to you. Sometimes I think that we relegate spirituality, religion, or maybe more accurately, I should say, faith in Jesus to simply just a blind leap, simply just hoping against hope. And if anybody asks us the reason for the hope within us, as we read in 1 Peter 3.15, we just say, "Ah, I just believe because I feel like it's right. No, you don't have to give an answer that that's, that's so vague. You can say, I believe because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he proved it to his followers. He invited them to touch, to see, and to experience that he was truly alive. And if you want to know how a little tiny movement within a Jewish community in a far-off Roman province would a hundred years later be taking over the world, it's because you had guys that were declaring this gospel who were able to say with John in 1 John, he starts his letter by saying, we testify to that which we have seen with our own two eyes, we've heard with our own ears, we've touched with our own hands. These guys didn't give their lives for a fairy tale or for a blind belief. They gave their life for a savior that they had seen and touched and knew was alive. Your faith isn't blind or unreasonable. It's built on the solid rock of a risen Lord who proved it. Let's look at the Matthew scene now. Matthew would surely agree with everything that Luke was drawing out of the story, but he has his own sort of 
unique takeaway about the risen Jesus. And for him, what he wants his readers to know more than anything else is that the risen Jesus is the one who speaks to his people's fears and says, peace, joy, don't be afraid. So some of you guys were at the sunrise service this morning um, and the fellow who was giving the homily for that, he actually read this very same text and made some of the same points that I wanted to make today. So um, believe me when I tell you that I had already, I'm not stealing from him. I had already prepared this, okay? Um, I promise. But women come to the tomb of Jesus. They see the stone rolled away. They see that the tomb is empty. Then they see this dazzling, amazing angel that says to them, don't be afraid. And they're bewildered. As our pastor this morning was saying, they ran away with this sort of commingling of joy and fear. And then Jesus appears to them. This is starting in verse 9. It says this, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, here we go, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So, and this bewilderment of what is happening, the empty tomb, uh, an angel that's saying cryptic things, what is going on? Jesus shows up in the midst of that, and he doesn't beat around the bush. He goes straight into their hearts, and he says, don't be afraid. I'm alive. I'm here. I'm with you. I even have a plan. (laughs) Sometimes we're so afraid because things feel chaotic and we have no idea what the future is going to do or where it's going to take us. And to that, Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm in charge. I've got a plan here. Go forth to Galilee. Tell your brothers that they'll see me there. Do not be afraid, he says. It's reminiscent of the fact that God the Father has told us all throughout this scripture, going all the way back to the book of Exodus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says it over and over and over again. And there is a very real sense in which the resurrection of Jesus is God doubling down on that promise. Saying, I told you, I'd never leave you or forsake you. You thought Jesus was gone with the crucifixion. You thought he was done after three days in the tomb. But here he is, alive, speaking to you. And saying, death can't take me away from you. Evil cannot rob, uh, that's going to flip it around. Evil cannot take me away from you. Nothing can happen in this world that would cause me to fade away. I will always be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am here. Don't be afraid. It was funny, I was going to sort of uh, frame this by saying, what's the first thing that Jesus said to the women when he he had risen and seen them? And I was going to say today in the sermon, don't be afraid, like I've been emphasizing. But the pastor this morning reminded us that's actually not the first thing he says. What's the first thing he says? Greetings. (laughs) Which is just so funny to me, just like, surprise. (laughs) But then he speaks directly to their hearts. Do not be afraid. 
we find ourselves in a place, I think, more often than not, that our deepest fear, the thing that rattles us, shakes us to the bone, is the fear of being alone, of being abandoned, of being left to fend for ourselves in a very chaotic world. And to that, the risen Jesus says, you, have, you don't have to fear that anymore. I'm alive. I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing, not even the grave, can take me away from you. Don't be afraid. The final scene is from the evangelist John. John chapter 20. It's interesting. I think John, he would probably, if he was here, say like, Josh, I I covered all those things you just talked about in my resurrection story. I talked about not being afraid. I talked, like it's in John that we get the story of doubting Thomas, the one who says, I won't believe until I touch the scars in his side. So many of these themes that we saw in Luke and Matthew show up in John too, but John has an utterly unique perspective in that he tells us a lot about Mary Magdalene, one of the first women at the tomb one of the first women to interact with Jesus after his resurrection. And we're going to start reading here. She thinks that she's speaking to a gardener at this moment in time, but then Jesus surprises her. He says in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. We're going to stop right there, even though that feels like it's, you know, ending right in the middle of a statement. What I want you to see about John's resurrection scene is he is the one that emphasizes for us that the risen Jesus speaks to the deepest desire of our hearts because he tells us in his resurrection that he is alive so that he can welcome us into a new family. A family where the holy, holy, holy God is our father. And that he, the righteous Jesus, son of God from all eternity, is our brother. And he has welcomed us in. I, uh, I'm seeing this from this passage here where Jesus says something that feels kind of cryptic in some ways. He says, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, there's some of that family language, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. And what, the, what we don't see sometimes when we just read this piecemeal is that in John's uh, gospel, He has shown us Jesus saying, my father, over and over and over again. It's happened a lot all throughout the preceding chapters of this book. Jesus saying, my father this, my father that. In my father's house, there are many rooms. You know, Uh, my father has given all things into my hands. Or I speak all the words that my father has given to me. So he's constantly talking about my father. But here he is in his resurrection at the very end of this gospel. And this time he doesn't just say my father. He says what? My father and your father. 
He's making it abundantly clear that in his resurrection, he has invited you into this family so that you now, through faith in him, can be a child of God. God is your father through faith in Christ. Years ago, I heard an Easter sermon from the pastor at my parents' church, and he was sharing this story about how his first days out of seminary, he had this interaction with a fellow, a guy that was coming to church that didn't know the gospel, wasn't a believer. He was coming to the church because he, there was a cute girl that went to church there, and he wanted to see if he could get a date with her. That happens, you know, and surprise, surprise. It's true. So this guy's coming He's chasing this gal, but in the course of it, he's hearing things about the gospel of grace and belief and faith in Jesus. He wants to know what that means. So he meets with this pastor, a guy who's fresh out of seminary, mind you. And he says, tell me more about what all this means. And so this fella, fresh out of seminary, launches into his very scholarly lecture. And says, well, you see, the cross is all about the atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus for our sin. We are sinners. We all uh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and Jesus' righteousness is now giving us through this, this double imputation where he imputes his righteousness and takes our sin. Does this make sense to you, brother? And the guy said, I'm way more confused now than when we started. I would probably be too. And so the pastor said that, just in God's grace, he, he backed up from all of that. And he didn't think about, okay, what does all the lectures that I've heard recently say? But he thought about what on earth have I been reading in the Bible recently? And he had been reading through this part of the book of John. And he said, here's what we mean when we talk about the gospel. God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, so that through his death and resurrection, he has made a way for God now to be your father. And to love you with that same eternal affection like he loves Jesus. And apparently that was the thing that hit that fellow right between the eyes. And he said, my father never loved me. And he said, I'm a dad now and I desperately want to be a good father for my son, but I don't know how. Are you telling me that God's promise, like what all this church stuff is about is that I get to say that God is my father who loves me? Yeah. That's what Jesus says. His first words after the resurrection and gospel of John. I'm going to my father and your father. The pastor kept meeting with that fella and, and in course of time was able to lay out for him all he meant by those churchy words. What? The death on the cross of Jesus really meant what the resurrection meant for newness of life, how we're to put our faith and trust in that Jesus and say, you alone are my hope for salvation. And when it was all said and done, that man was kneeling in his living room, praying and accepting Christ for his Savior for the first time. But remember, the inroad, the thing that opened the door for him to say, I want to know what this is about was Jesus Christ saying, I go to my father and your father. In him, he's invited you into a new family. And like I said previously, I believe that is the thing that our heart 
wants more than anything else. You know, on Easter, we sometimes like to really articulate very clearly a, a gospel invitation because we're convinced that there's visitors on Easter, people that might normally not normally go to church, but just go to church on Easter or Christmas or wherever it might be, and they, we have a chance for them to hear the gospel clearly when they come and when they visit. That is not so much the case at our church, and not saying that we want to share the gospel, but that we normally don't have, like, new visitors on Easter. It's the craziest thing. Do you know that for Vespers, Easter Sunday is usually our lightest attended Sunday of the year? Isn't that wild? And it's not because Vespers folks don't care about Easter. It's because it's in the afternoon. And everybody wants to do Easter with their family. They usually go to church and then they have a big meal in the afternoon. So a lot of our people that you're not seeing here today, they didn't skip church for Easter. They probably went with their parents or their kids or wherever that had a morning service. It's just one of the drawbacks of meeting at 4 p.m. But I'm saying all this because it could be that we say, well, you know, we might not have a whole lot of visitors or people come in that haven't heard the gospel. But the reality is there's always somebody who needs to hear the gospel. Whether a visitor or whether it's somebody that's been in this church for years that is hearing the invitation of Christ saying, you can be part of my family and it's ringing true for the first time. Guys, you know my story. I grew up in the church. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old. I knew a lot of Bible verses. I knew all the stories. I'm sure the Sunday school teachers would have told you that I was the most wonderful Christian young man I didn't know Jesus until there was one particular moment where a simple word like Jesus is saying, I have come to make him not just my father, but your father. That rang true to me. And maybe that's done the same for you today. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God who has entered your world, taken your sin upon his shoulder so that you might have his perfect, righteous life, his resurrected life. If only you put your faith and trust in him. You say, yes, Jesus, you are the eternal son of God. And more than that, I give my life to you. Wherever you go, I'm going to follow. If you want to be part of his family, if you want to be able to say, I am a beloved child of God who shares in that same fatherly affection that the risen Jesus has from God. Well, I'd ask for you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Father, we let go of all the idols that we have in our lives, the things that we are convinced will make us happy other than you. We let go of all the sins and betrayals and ways in which we want to control and run our own life and, and not be open-minded to what your word is telling us how we should live. God, we let go of all, all of our good works that we are convinced will make you love us more. Or make us earn your salvation somehow, so way. We let go of all of that, Lord, and we say, it's Jesus alone. It's the risen Jesus. We're going to cling to his feet like Mary Magdalene did here and say, God, Jesus, you are all I have. You're my only hope. You're my only righteousness. I trust and believe in you for everything.
God, give us that faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.